Hello, and welcome to Studio Class. I'm Megan Enan, your host and diva sidekick. I'm a mezzo-soprano on a mission to change the world through the commissioning, performance, and proliferation of new music. Are you just beginning your singing career? In the midst of building your successful empire, or anywhere in between, I hope you'll join me in this second season as we talk about the ins and outs of both the traditional and non-traditional singing path. It's not always easy, and if your experience is anything like mine, we barely scratched the surface of this in studio class. However, I'm here to give you the micro-actions that over time will transform your relationship to your career. Let's do this. Thanks for joining me for episode number 14. In this 14th episode, we're going back to my Rainmaker's Guide to Music Business Lecture and diving into the branding portion. Do not be afraid, divas. Branding is not a dirty word. Branding is just one of the ways to help make your music business more efficient and authentic. And as always, I want to help you make it rain in your business. Divas, I'm curious. What areas of music business branding feel great to you and which ones feel icky and weird? Help me zero in on the pointers you need in your best diva life. Hit me up on Twitter. I'm at MezzoEnen. That's at M-E-Z-Z-O-I-H-N-E-N. Looking forward to hearing from you. And now, here we go. It's no secret that I love the podcast Being Boss. And Kathleen once said when they were talking about personal branding, said, a personal brand is showing up as yourself 100% of the time in work and life. And I tend to think that that's very true for singers. As a singer, you are your business and therefore you are your brand. And that's why I want to talk a little bit about branding for us as musicians. We are our business. We are our brand. I want to introduce you to this activity called branding in seven words. And I think I picked this up from a workshop called Artist You with the wonderful Andrew Simonet. So shout out to Artist You and Andrew Simonet. If you can go to one of their workshops, I highly recommend it. It was surprising and amazing all in the same time. <laughs> and so branding in seven words goes a little something like this. If you have a piece of paper and a pencil, take it out, put this in your journal. Um, if you're driving, obviously, just try and do this in your head or save this episode for later. I want you to make a list, number one through seven, on your piece of paper, and then I want you to think about seven individual words that describe you. So seven individual words that describe you as a person, you as a musician maybe, but really just more words that describe you. These are not phrases. Remember, not phrases, just individual words.
Then I want you to make another column of seven points and write down seven words that describe how audiences feel when they interact with your work. So think about it for a moment. I really want you to think about what do you want an audience to feel when they're interacting with your work? And yes, I know that I also feel this way about what audiences feel is up to them. And that's totally fine. It's not about telling them what they should feel. It's as though you were saying, if somebody come, came up to you after a performance and said, wow, you really made me feel joyful, or you really made me feel uh, provoked, or you really made me feel fill in the blank, and you would feel genuinely excited and happy about that, that they interacted with your work in that way. What are the seven words that describe how you want audiences to feel when they interact with your work? So the first column is seven words that describe you. And then seven words, the second column is seven words that describe how audiences feel when they interact with your work. Now, in your mind or on the paper, I want you to put stars next to the three words in each column that are the most emotionally compelling to you. After you've done this, I want you to write a brief artist statement using those words. So you should end up with a collection of six words that describe you and the effect of your work together. And that's our branding and seven words exercise. So starting there, I really want you to keep that in mind. What are some of the words that immediately jump to mind when you were thinking about describing yourself? So some of the words that I use in my own statement are things like radiant or uh, joyful or welcoming. And then so the seven words that describe myself and then in my seven words that describe how I want audiences to feel when they interact with my work, maybe some of those would be like uh, nostalgic or understood something like that. I want audiences to feel that way when they interact with what I'm doing. And that tells me what I'm doubling down on in performance to kind of access those emotions for myself, and then hopefully provide a place for my audience to interact with those ideas as well. Okay, so after we've done that activity, I want to move on to defining your brand. So I'm going to ask some questions. And I really just want you to be thinking about how do you answer these own questions for yourself? Because you are your own brand. So first we have to define your brand. How do you see yourself as a musician or a composer? What is your role as a musician or composer? How do you see yourself? What do you do? And then number two, what accomplishment makes you the most proud? When I think back on my singing career, as far as I've gotten so far, <laughs> uh, there are certain accomplishments in singing that jump out to me as, wow, that really felt amazing. That was a mountaintop experience. And it could be even little things. It doesn't have to be that, you know, I, you know, won a Guggenheim fellowship or something. I, It can be whatever. I didn't have to get a MacArthur Genius Grant and like call that the only thing that's an accomplishment that makes me proud. I mean, that would be a very um, 
strict and sad life if that was the only accomplishment that makes you proud. So, but when I think back on it, there are certain performances in my mind that really act as a tipping point in how I thought of myself as a musician. And some of those were performing in front of larger audiences, or some of those were about really getting deeply into the music and uh, surpassing a challenge of of reading the music or performing the music or understanding the composer's tonal language or something like that, that really jumps out to me and says, this is a time where you leveled up. So what is that moment for you? What are some of your accomplishments that have helped you or in your mind are the moments where you leveled up? Number three is one of my favorites. What is your favorite musical responsibility? This can mean different things to different people, right? If you're a composer, maybe your musical, your favorite musical responsibility is providing notes on a page for somebody else to perform. Maybe that's your favorite musical responsibility. As a singer, I want you to think about how this, how this would act in your life. So what is my favorite musical responsibility? One of the things that's really helped me be aware of the opportunities that I want to pursue is thinking about what is my favorite musical responsibility. My favorite musical responsibility is being in a small chamber ensemble and connecting with other instrumentalists, maybe other singers on stage, but in a very intimate way, and then providing that for an audience. So my favorite musical responsibility is performing, but it is specifically performing in front of an intimate audience with an intimate group of people on stage. So it's not only just me on stage. That's not my favorite musical responsibility. I love that. And my favorite musical responsibility is not singing in a giant opera chorus, although I also love that. It's about figuring out when do I really feel like I'm in the flow. And number four is what do you do well? So you got to find out your strengths and then play to those strengths. Number five goes hand in hand with number four, obviously. What do you not do quite as well? (laughs) So I want you to know what you do well. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses as a musician or as a person? Where do you feel like you really shine as a person? And where do you feel like you kind of fade into the background? Now, I want you to brainstorm some values that come through your artistic and creative work. So think about some core values here. What are your core values and how do those show up in your work? I like to think of some of my core values as being loyalty. And so you'll see in my creative work that I love to work with new composers, but I also really relish the opportunity to work with composers that I've built a relationship with or just finding opportunities to work with people that I really enjoy being around and that's how loyalty comes through in my creative work or family is another core value of mine that I feel very strongly about. You can see where those kind of go hand in hand, I suppose. (laughs) When I'm putting together my own projects, you'll see that through line of family as a core value in some of my personal achievements in my mind are recitals or performances where I was able to weave that thread through the tapestry that my core value of family was coming through. For example, in the Lullabies Project, that one of the reasons that I pursued the Lullabies Project is because I wanted to be able to share my musical ideas and my creative work with my friends that are family and have that be part of their family time as well as my family time. 
That was number six in defining your brand. Brainstorm some values that come through your artistic and creative work. Now we have to think about what makes you unique. Because brands are all about being definable, about being understood. And so we have to know who you are. You can't just be one of the thousands, one of the millions, one of the many, many sopranos in the world, right? (laughs) We have to have some reason to say, oh, that person, that voice. So I really want you to think about what makes you unique. Let's talk about your characteristics. And you can break this down and think about your personal characteristics. How do you act throughout the day or... Think about the characteristic sound in your voice. So go back and listen to your recordings and make some notes, at least seven descriptive words about what is characteristic about your voice that is slightly different or maybe unique compared to other voices. Number two under what makes you unique is skills, obviously. So what are your skills? Number three is talents. So skills and talents. What are your skills and talents that separate you from the rest of the field? What do you do that is slightly better than the person next to you? (laughs) Or when we're in studio class, how do you know that you are more skilled than the person that sang right after you? Or maybe not in studio class, but like when you're at auditions, what do you know that you do better than the person that's going to walk in the room after you? Number four is experiences. I really think experience is important. This kind of goes back to my own personal idea of core values of what makes interesting art. And I think that uh, learning through experience is one of those things that is most important to creating great art. And it doesn't have to be all one kind of experience. It should be varied experiences. Think about your experiences. What types of experiences have you had in life that that are just different? What makes up your Venn diagram of experiences that is just incredibly unique? Number five. Where do you add the most value to groups or relationships? Going back to number three on the other side, where I said, what is your favorite musical responsibility? I want you to think about on this side, where do you add the most value to groups or relationships? You can think about your musical ensembles if you want to. When you're thinking about your musical ensemble, what do you bring to that? When I think about my musical ensembles, some of the things that popped to my mind, things like, Oh, I really like writing. I really like um, admin. I really like marketing. If somebody is like, I just don't have time to help with this, it's easier for me to step up and say, oh, I got that. No problem. Because that's where I can add a lot of value. It's easy for me to do that side of it. I'd love to take that on as a responsibility. And then where do I add the most value to groups or relationships when it comes to me musically? I like to think of the fact that I... Uh, you know, I'm very words focused. So often when I'm working with instrumentalists, that's that's something that I can bring to the table and say like, oh, I would really like to synthesize our phrasing here with what the words are actually doing. And you can be that person too. You can be, just think about where do you add the most value to your groups or relationships? What types of characteristics, skills, talents, experiences are you bringing to the table that help and add value to your groups? Number six. Okay, this is where people start to get really angsty (laughs) about, about branding. And it's describe your visual style or code. I know, I know. I'm not asking you to change anything about what you do. And even if you think you don't have a visual style or code, you do. Everyone does. From the way that you do or do not do your hair to the the shoes that you wear every day. It doesn't matter. You have a visual style and code. And 
it's important to embrace it. Doubling down on your visual style or code is a very easy way to create a marker for your brand. It doesn't have to be super sexy. It doesn't have to be super cool. You can rock the norm core thing to the end of time. And that is your brand. It's totally fine. Just remember that you are trading on memorable markers. That's what we're trying to do. Visual style and code is just another currency marker to say, I'm interesting. You don't have to put on anything else. You don't have to put on anything that doesn't fit you, that doesn't fit your idea of yourself or your identity. I'm just saying what you put out into the world visually is a marker or is a currency of your brand. Number seven. Well, you know what? Actually, I have these mixed up. Number eight is my favorite. And so I want to get to that. And then I'm going to do number seven after that. The last one is what do you say that you do? So when you are meeting someone, what do you tell them that you do? I remember sitting in a lecture by Mark Stoddard, a classical singer, way, way back in the day. And he said that whenever he gets on a plane, he just loves talking to the person next to him. And when they inevitably ask, what do you do? He says, I have the best job in the world. And I don't know if he actually says it like that or if he just does it for dramatic effect, but I have the best job in the world. I am an opera singer. And I was like, well, I could never say it like that. But then over time, I started realizing that, yes, that's what you have to do. You have to help people be interested in what you do. And so you get to say, I have a really sweet job. I'm an opera singer. Or I have a really sweet job. I'm a classical singer. Whatever it is, you have to say what you do and bring people into it. If you are the person that's going, well, you know, sometimes I sing, but I kind of like teach and I do some other stuff. You are not being very clear about who you are and what you do and how you could interact with that person. Be very clear in your language about what you do and how you're going to interact with that person. It is your responsibility to tell that person how to interact with you. So it is your responsibility to tell other people how you want them to think of you. So when you say what you do, it's a very important moment. Practice saying it now. (laughs) I am, fill in your name, and I have the best job in the world. I am a classical singer or I am an opera singer. You don't have to say it just like that, but I want you to really get into it and try telling people when people ask you what you do, say, oh my gosh, I am just so excited. I have this great job. I get to sing opera for a living. Isn't that wild? And they're going to be all over it. And that leads me back to number seven, which is how are you introduced at school, business, or social functions? So when somebody else introduces you, pay attention to what they say, because that's what they think you do. And if they say, oh, here's Sally, she's a really good admin person, then that's what they think that you do. And I want to make sure that when people are introducing you, they're saying the thing that you want to do with all of your heart. If you want to be an admin for the rest of your life, that is great. Do that. But if you are getting introduced as that, then something is off in your branding and your marketing. Something is not quite right. You are not telling people how to interact with you. When you're being introduced at school, business, or, or social functions, if somebody says, this is Sally and she's an amazing soprano, then 
Yeah, there you go. You're hitting it. That's awesome. But if you're not getting introduced that way, you can start to change the script a little bit. When somebody introduces you and they only know you in a very specific capacity, you can always follow up and say, oh, yeah, thanks, Bob. I I do a lot of admin, but I am an opera singer or whatever it is that you want to say there. So remember, what do you say you do is very, very important. And then how you're introduced is also important. Those things go hand in hand. And if you are saying something that you do and you're getting introduced as something else, then something is off in your marketing. All right. Now, another aspect of branding is who is buying what you're selling. We want to be thinking about how to reach the people that are buying what you are selling. And this can be casting directors. This can be audience members. This can be composers who are sending you their music. It doesn't matter. You have to be thinking about your target market. Your target market can be broken down into a few different categories. We want to think about demographics. So demographics are something that most of us know about. We're thinking age, ethnicity, location, gender, income level, education background, and occupation. Then we want to be thinking about psychographics. Psychographics are is becoming more well-known what these are at the moment, uh, but it still might be an area where people go, psychographics, what? <laughs> so if that's you, hold on. So psychographics are behaviors, personality, hobbies, values, interests, and especially financial attitudes. Demographics are very very straightforward. They're the who of your target market. But the psychographic profile is the why. And I really want you to take more time to create psychographic profiles for your target market. When you're thinking about, uh, sorry, so I'm saying target market a lot. I want you to be thinking about target market and secondary market. So target market is the person who is writing the paycheck to you. So, and your secondary market is maybe the person that is benefiting from that. Okay. Target market, in that case, might be the casting director. If you can't get a paycheck until you get cast in a show, you need to up your understanding of who is buying what you're selling to the casting director. And it's not necessarily for the audience. The casting director is thinking about their target market, which is audiences, right? That's their responsibility. Their responsibility is to pick a person that's perfect for their production that is going to be very compelling for their audience right? They have built that trust along the way and it's their responsibility to keep it going. So it's your responsibility to present yourself to the casting director in a way that says, I am perfect for that that role that you're coming up with in your mind. I am that person. When we're thinking about target market, we want to break it down. We've got the demographics for the most part. We know what the age is. We know what the location is. We know what the income level potentially is or education background or most definitely occupation, right? Because if it's this target market we're kind of creating in our mind is a casting director, you definitely know what their occupation is. (laughs) Then I want you to think about psychographic profile. So take that casting director in your mind and say, what is that person's behaviors and how they cast? What is the value that they're trying to glean from this? What do they really care about in this production? What are their financial attitudes? Am I the right financial pick for them? All of these things are important and it will really help up your game. So one last little activity before I let you guys go. This is our elevator pitch game. And so I'm going to give you the elevator pitch part and then I'm going to tell you how I do it. You've probably seen this graphic on the internet somewhere and it's just a little fill in the blank and it goes, I'm a blank who is passionate about blank, period. My mission is to blank 
by blank, period. It goes, I'm a blank, which is profession, who is passionate about blank things that you're into. So let's break that down. I'm a mezzo-soprano who is passionate about contemporary classical music. My mission is to blank how you're changing the game by blank secret weapon. My mission is to flood the new music scene with money by revolutionizing commissioning. I want you to take a moment. I'm a blank who is passionate about blank. What are those blanks for you? I'm a blank who is passionate about blank. Then my mission is to blank. How are you going to change the game, Diva? By blank. And what is your secret weapon? How are you changing the game? And what is your secret weapon? So my mission is to blank by blank. And then we always do this as an elevator pitch game or speed dating where I get everybody in two lines and you introduce yourself with your elevator pitches. And then when the time is up, everybody runs down the middle and they high five along the way. It's great. It's super fun. That's the end of our branding episode. Hit me up on Twitter, friends. I really want to know what you thought of this. I really want to hear some of your seven words. I really want to hear some of your answers to these questions. Like, what is your favorite musical responsibility? Where do you add the most value to groups or relationships? Brainstorm some of your core values that come through your artistic and creative work. I want to know what those are. Like I said, I'm at Mezzo Enan, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Bye, divas. joining me for episode 14 of Studio Class brought to you by the Sybaritic Singer. Many thanks to Juanitos for the music featured in this episode. Hey divas, did you know there's one very simple way you can support our show to ensure we keep producing more content? Simply head over to iTunes and give us a rating. First, subscribe to the podcast, and then you can rate the podcast by selecting one to five stars. It means a lot to me and to the show. Higher ratings means greater discoverability. Do you have a question about this podcast or the information I've presented here? please go to sybariticsinger.com and get in touch. Oh, no.